discussion with Dr. Farid Holakou. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number 310-4410555. I'll announce the book of the week for this week. Uh, it's No Drama Discipline by Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson. No Drama Discipline, the whole brain way to calm the chaos and nurture your child's developing mind. It's a great book. I'm only a little bit into the book, but I'd read a lot of other work by Daniel Siegel and uh, related to parenting, and it's really a great approach, uh, as the title implies, no drama discipline. It gets into even what discipline is. We tend to think of discipline meaning just punishment, but as they explained, that's not really what discipline is about or it should be about, and also ways we can use research on the brain and your child's emotional development to help you have a better relationship with them, but also discipline them in a way that's good for them and you. So it's a really great book. I can already tell you that just a little bit into it and based on the ideas that I know are expressed in the book, uh, but I'll share that with you on Monday night's show. No Drama Discipline, Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson. And please send me your recommendations for books to add for the list of books of the week for this year. All right, so I wanted to start off today uh, at something I do, do every New Year's, talking about setting goals. Now, uh, it is interesting that we like New Year's or a new week or a new month to set a, a goal, but really you can set a goal anytime. So it doesn't have to be New Year's. And if you already made a resolution and you didn't make it, you don't have to wait till 2020. You can start again. It's never a bad time to set a goal and there isn't uh, just a set time to do that. But people often do reflect on their lives and think about goals or resolutions for the new year. So I like to revisit this idea of how we can set better goals for ourselves to make it more likely that we will succeed. And uh, the reason why um, I wanted to talk about this is because many people will set goals that the goals themselves make it less likely to get achieved. And that's why we want to talk about setting SMART goals. It's kind of a cliche analogy or acronym that is used to describe the ways you can set your goals, but I'll get into that a little bit of what that means to set a goal in this way and how you can apply that to your own life. I also prefer New Year's goals to resolutions. Resolutions sound like declarations, and they tend to be more things like don't do this anymore or do that. It just sounds a little bit different for me, and it's semantics, but I prefer goals to resolutions, and they don't have to be for New Year's. You can start them anytime and revisit them as often needs to be the case. But when we talk about setting SMART goals, each letter in that word stands 
for something, and I'll go through that, you're trying to get set goals that will make it more likely that you can achieve them. And to begin with, so we have S for SMART, and that is specific. Now, the reason why it's important for you to set a specific goal, and actually I like to put the S and the M together, specific, and then the M is for measurable, is that you want to know or how will you know you've achieved your goal? And that's why when people set a goal like, okay, for 2019, I want to get in shape. Well, what does that mean? What shape are we talking about? Or how will you know you've achieved it? What are the ways to know you've gotten there or you're getting close or you haven't gotten there or you're halfway there? And so this is why we want to set specific and measurable goals. I'm going to cut 5% body fat by June 1st. I'm going to lose 25 pounds by May 15th. Or for me reading a book a week, that's something that's very clear and measurable that I had set two years ago. Or um, I'm going to reduce my cigarettes and smoke no cigarettes by July 1st. And you might say by April 1st, I'm going to smoke no more than two cigarettes a day and set that kind of a specific and measurable goal. So you want to make sure it's very clear what you're trying to do. Because if you say, I want to read more, exercise more, um, hang out with my friends more, whatever it is, if it's not specific and measurable, it's not going to be very clear what you want to accomplish, to know that you're accomplishing it, and also how to get there. When we make it more specific, it becomes more clear what we want. So even if you say, I want to spend more time with my friends, you can make it more specific and measurable by saying, see at least one friend outside of work every week, something like that. And it might seem uh, weird to put numbers on your social life, but if we don't do that very often, it becomes hard to measure what we're doing and to really put consistent effort towards something. So the S and the M are for specific and measurable. Make sure your goal is very clear and something you can measure in numbers, quantifiable. And even if it's something that's hard to quantify, make it more quantifiable. So spend more time with my kids. Well, how much more time? Set some kind of goal. At least one hour every day of uninterrupted um, play with my child, for example. Make it very clear. Because if you say more time, well, what does that mean? And if you spend five minutes more than you did last year, that would still be more time. But that's not really probably what you're going for. So make it very specific and measurable. The A, uh, usually they'll people and different websites and different people will talk about it differently, but it's usually for attainable or something you can achieve. Now, although we're saying attainable, what's important about your goal is not just that it's something you can achieve, but it has to be something that you have to find this sweet spot where it's attainable, but also challenging so that it gets you excited. So if someone says my goal is to lose half a pound in 2019, yes, that's definitely attainable, so it meets that requirement, but it's not something you're excited about if you achieve it or something challenging. So we want to find a goal that is both challenging and attainable, meaning you're going to have to work hard to get there, work consistently, but it also feels realistic. If you say, I want to read um, 1,000 pages every day, you probably won't be able to do it by day one, and then you'll just give up and you won't do it at all. So if it's too challenging or almost impossible, you're going to give up too easily. And if it's too easy, you're not going to care that much about uh, achieving the goal. So you won't care that much. So when we talk about the A of attainable, you want to find that important ground of where it's exciting for you, yet something you can achieve. 
So it has to be that middle ground of where I can really get there. But if I get there, I'll be really excited and I need to push myself. So we want our goal to be attainable. The R, I like to use it for relevant, meaning that it has to be important to you. I can't make your goals for you because I don't know what you want in your life, what you want more of. Someone might want to spend more time with their family. Someone else actually might be spending too much time with family and friends and not working enough or working towards their goals or other work-related things. So they want to spend less time. So the goal has to be relevant to you. It has to be important to you in that you want to achieve it because it means something to you if you accomplish that goal. So that's why the goal has to be relevant. We can't set goals for other people. And sometimes people try to, they say, hey, you know, you should do this or you should do that. It doesn't really work that way. It has to be important for the person. They won't be that motivated to achieve a goal that's set by someone else or made by someone else. They have to want it themselves. So think about a goal that's important for you, that you're going to feel good if you achieve, that will mean a lot to you. And the last one is time-bound or time-specific, which relates to the specific and measurable part, that you want to set some time limits. Because if you just say, I want to lose 10 pounds, okay, that's great, but by when? Give yourself a date. Or I want to cut smoking to zero cigarettes. Give yourself a date. Because if you don't make it time-bound, then it just feels very open-ended. You can keep just pushing it forward. I'll do it tomorrow, or I'll start the next day, or I'll start in a week. Because we know that usually if we're setting a goal, that means it's something that it's not easy for us to do, that it's a challenge for us. And when something is challenging for us, that means that almost always in the moment, we're not going to want to do that thing because it's going to involve delaying gratification in some way. So if we don't put a time limit on it, if we don't feel some kind of urgency to get the goal done, it's more likely that we're just going to push it forward to the next day or the next week because we won't want to do it then. That's just part of human nature is that we tend to um, gravitate towards the instant gratification, feeling good in the moment rather than just doing the harder thing that might be better long term. So you want to put time limits on there. And even what can be good is if you have a goal that, for example, it's a bigger goal of like, let's say, losing weight or stopping smoking or doing something like that or increasing something in your life, you can sometimes set different goals, as in, in one month I want to accomplish this, in two months I want to accomplish this, in six months I want to accomplish this. And that helps for multiple reasons to break the goal down. One, it can give you a feeling of success in a shorter time, which can feel good of, okay, I'm going towards my goal, I've reached some milestone. But also it gives you the ability to look at your progress and how you're doing and see Am I making good progress? Are things going as I would like as far as attaining my goal? Or am I not making the progress I wanted to make up until this point? And looking at that very openly and honestly, not to judge yourself, but to really look at what you can do better. What's not going right and what's going wrong? What am I not doing enough of? What can I do more of? What is happening that I'm not getting to my goal, that I haven't made it? to the one-month point or the two-month point where I'd like to be, and then we can make changes. So that's why I was saying it's good to revisit the goal. And when you make it more specific and measurable, then it makes it easier to do that, to say, okay, I was hoping to accomplish X, and so far I haven't even got close to X, which means something is not going right. So to set a goal in this way, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound, 
can make it more likely that you can achieve your goal because it makes things more clear and also it makes it something that means something to you. It will be a challenge for you, but it is something you can attain and that can be very important. Now, another thing outside of these SMART goals that I think is very important and can be helpful when we're trying to achieve something difficult is to use things like visualization to make us more excited about achieving that goal. So, for example, sometimes I've worked with people and they're thinking about going back to school. And it's going to be a very difficult process, obviously, for them to do that. Lots of sacrifices, lots of hard work. And one thing that can be meaningful for them and can help motivate them is to imagine themselves at their graduation. And when you do visualizations, we know that what makes them most helpful is the more vivid we can make it and the more senses we can involve. So it's not just, oh, imagine you're at your graduation. Imagine you're at your graduation sitting on the stage. What are you wearing? How are you feeling? Who do you see in the audience? And then what do you feel when they say your name? And even you can go through imagining that whole process of it happening, of them saying your name, your family cheering and screaming, and you with a big smile on your face, and all the, the processes that are happening in that moment, everything you're feeling, really try to feel it actually in the moment. And hopefully if it's something meaningful to you, that's going to make you feel really good and get you really excited. And you want to use that excitement, that good feeling to motivate you. And you can actually revisit this visualization even every day. That can be very helpful, especially if it's a challenging goal, to re-motivate yourself. As I mentioned on Monday night's show, sometimes we think of willpower as something that either you have or you don't have, or something that has to be 100% or we feel it 100% of the time. But that's not the case. Willpower is something that, like many human experiences or emotions, are gonna, it's going to come and go, or it's going to be weaker and stronger at different times. So we have to make sure we re-motivate ourselves. We have to get re-inspired, re-energized, and visualization can be a great way to do that. Now, one thing I want to make clear is sometimes uh, people could think, well, if you declare it and you visualize it, then you're just going to achieve it or the universe will give it to you. This is sometimes uh, things like the secret has this idea that if you just want something and you declare it to the universe, it comes to you. And I don't want to make that seem like what I'm saying. I think the visualization and uh, declaring it can be very good in clarifying what you want, making it clear what you want, making sure your intention is there to get to that goal. But then you have to do the hard work to get there. You won't graduate unless you study a lot and go through the stress of taking tests and papers and midterms and whatever else it takes to be a successful student. You're going to have to do that work. If you want to lose weight, you're going to have to eat better and exercise more and do whatever it takes to lose weight. You can't just declare it. If you want to stop smoking, you're going to have to take steps, maybe use patches and gum and get support from people to help you get to that goal and withstand some really uncomfortable feelings of the withdrawals that you're going to go through and resisting the temptations. So the visualization helps, but it's not the end. Many people make it that if you declare it, it's just going to be handed to you. No. You're going to have to work really, really hard in order to achieve any uh, meaningful goal. But the visualization can be helpful. Take that time to really think about what it is you're going to achieve. And that'll make you remember why it's so important to you. 
and revisiting that on a daily basis, sometimes people even do it twice a day, morning and night, can help you feel even more motivated or keep that motivation alive. This is why I want this goal so much. This is how good it's going to feel. So right now, even though it's hard, I want to push through this. And also be ready that in achieving almost any goal, as much as I was saying you want to measure your progress, your progress is almost never going to be linear, meaning that every day you're just getting closer and closer and closer. Usually you're going to have some setbacks. That's generally the process. And we have to make sure that when we have those setbacks, we don't throw the whole goal away, but we just see this as one obstacle or one roadblock and keep pushing through. Remember how important it is for you to achieve that goal and it has to be important to you. That's why the R is for relevant, it has to mean a lot to you that you want to achieve it. But don't be deterred that if you're not making perfect progress every day, that's never going to happen. And sometimes when we look forward, we can have that mindset that every day I'm going to wake up and do this and it's going to be great and I'm going to be so motivated every single day and it's going to be one day after another of successes. And when we look forward, we tend to have this optimistic outlook of ourselves that somehow we're going to have perfect willpower. But we know that's not going to be the case. You're going to try every day and strive towards that goal, but recognize that there will likely be setbacks. But we want to make sure that those setbacks are just obstacles and not something that makes us just throw the whole goal away altogether. Remember why you want it and how much you want it. So if you've already set some goals, great. If you haven't, there's never a wrong time to do so, and there's never a right time that you have to do it then. And I think actually it's very important to set goals and to have some goals in your life at any given time. I think it's important to be working towards something and to have things in your mind. We all talk about, I want to become a better person or I want to work on myself, and that's great. But very often if we don't make it concrete or clear to ourselves what we are working on, we really don't do much and they just stay as empty words. So we want to set goals for yourself. I think it's important to have some goals in mind at, at any given point in your life that you're actively working towards. So good luck. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 3104410555. And the first segment talked about setting goals. And Usually goals are things like reading more, losing weight, exercising more, things like that, which are all great. But I also wanted to make uh, a suggestion about setting a goal of giving more in your life in some way and making it very specific, meaning doing some kind of community service, helping others in some way. And I know it can sound very cheesy and cliche, but I say this because I know how meaningful it can be in our lives and how easy it is for us not to do these types of things if we don't make an active effort. So if we don't set a goal or make it a priority, you'll never do it. Because a lot of these things that I was just talking about are things that people want to do, but if we don't make them a priority or if we don't really make an aim or an intention to do it, you won't do it. No one says they don't want to exercise more or read more or if they use some kind of substance to do less of it. We all want to do those things. And people want to give more and help when they can. They feel good about it. Uh, no one says they don't want to do it or they feel bad about that. And they say, oh, I'd like to give back more when I find time. But we have to make the time for anything 
that we feel is important or else we probably won't do it. So in the new year, um, again, it doesn't have to be any specific date that you set a goal, but I, it can be a good time to think, how can I add some kind of giving to my life? And hopefully make the case a little bit stronger when I say I want you to give more. Um, it also benefits you. So it's not just for other people, but really we know it's going to have a big impact on your life. So I've talked about this before and I'll bring it up again. But many times when people think about happiness or what's going to make them happy, they tend to think it's about the things they're going to get. If I make a lot of money, if I get a lot of nice things because of that money or just have nice things, if I get a lot of attention, fame, Instagram followers, people giving me attention for whatever reason, all these things that I get, we think that's what's going to make us happy. And that's what most people are striving towards. How do I make more money? How do I get more fame and attention? That's what we usually are going for. And that's really what society tells us, that the happy people or the people we should strive to be are rich and famous. They've gotten a lot of things. But we see that people that get a lot are not actually the happiest ones. The people who give a lot are the ones who are happiest. And by happiest, I don't just mean feeling good in the moment. I mean genuine uh, happiness as far as living a meaningful and content life, feeling good about your life, not just feeling good in the moment. Those things can make you feel good temporarily, but it doesn't give you a long-lasting good feeling about your life. When we give more, that's when we actually feel good. And anyone who, who, who has done this can attest to that and you felt that yourself. And even Eric Fromm, he talks about how uh, it is better to give than to receive, but not the way most people think of it. Usually people say it's better to give than to receive because we think, well, giving, getting feels good, to receive feels good, and giving is more noble because it involves sacrifice. So because it's harder to do in that way, it's better to give than to receive, as in you're being a better person because you're doing the thing that feels worse or is harder to do. But as he puts it, it's not that in giving I lose something. It's actually in giving I gain something and that I get to get in touch with my own vitality and strength and being alive. It feels good to give. That's why it's better to give than to receive, not because it hurts more, but actually because it does feel better. It does feel good to give rather than to receive. So unfortunately, because we have the recipe backwards, that we think that in order to be happy in life, I have to get, 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 get more money, get more things, get more attention from people. Even if we achieve that goal, we're not happy. So this is what happens. People say, I want to be rich and famous. And so most people don't achieve that goal and they feel bad about that. They say, oh, I didn't achieve my goal or I didn't make it the way I wanted to make it. And so they feel like a failure, unsuccessful. And of course, that's going to make them unhappy. But then unfortunately, those that even achieve the goal, they say, oh, I want to be rich and famous because that's going to make me feel good, make me happy. They get there and then they realize they're still not happy. And they in some way can feel even worse. I've even gotten everything I ever wanted. I've gotten everything you can ever want, but I'm not happy. So really something must be very wrong with me. Something's not okay with me if I have everything. Look how much I have to be grateful for, but I'm not happy. But the problem isn't that they're the problem. The problem is that they've gotten the recipe for happiness and a good life wrong. 
if you think it's to get that's going to make you happy, you're going to be happy whether you get it or not. Or you're going to be unhappy whether you get it or not. But when you recognize to give is the true meaning of life or what's going to make you happy, then you can give and feel the goodness in giving to others and serving others. And so going back to this idea of rich and famous, I've mentioned before how you can have two people that want to become singers. And one person, she wants to become a famous singer because of all the fame and the money and the attention she's going to get and how good it's going to feel that she thinks to get all of those things. And someone else wants to sing because she thinks she has a beautiful voice and can write beautiful music that will uh, make people feel good, help them connect to each other, help them connect to themselves. And she wants to share this gift with the world. She thinks she can give something. So one person wants to get, one person wants to give. But their end goal can seem the same as far as from the outside. They will both want to become well-known singers, but their intention is very different. The singer that just wants to get, even if she becomes successful in the way she wants to be, she's not going to be happy long-term because she can get and get, but it's never going to feel good in the long-term. But the singer who wants to give, that intention is very different. Her intention is to give to others, to the world, and she will feel good. She will want her songs to be spread, not because she'll get more money necessarily, but because she wants to touch more people with her music, with the gift that she has. That intention is very different. And so we have to look at our own lives and see how much of our intention is about getting and how much is about giving. And I know it seems like maybe I'm trying to trick you to, to give more and not to get, but really it is what's going to make you happy in the long term. So, of course, we can look at your career and how you are giving or getting. But also, as I was mentioning at the beginning of the segment, think about how you can include giving in your life more. It doesn't have to be some huge commitment. And I think that's what gets in the way for a lot of people. They think, I'd like to do community service, but I don't have time. And um, it, it reminds me of when people say, I'd like to exercise, but I don't have time. Or I'd like to meditate, but I don't have time. And we know that the people that do those things regularly, who meditate regularly, who exercise regularly, it's not because they just have so much free time and then they fill it up with some of these things. It's that they prioritize it because they say, it's so important for me to exercise that I'm going to wake up a little earlier every morning and make sure I exercise every morning and make time for that. Even if I have to sleep earlier or have to sacrifice something else, I'm making that a priority. Or if I'm going to meditate every day, it's not because I have so much free time. We know a lot of very successful people who are very busy who meditate every day. It's not because they have all this free time. It's because they say how important it is. So we have to make it important enough to prioritize it. And community service is something that it could be just one or two hours a week or even a little bit less than that, but it can be very meaningful. And I hope people will take that seriously. For me, going to school on wheels on Thursdays is one of the best parts of my week every week. And I go no matter what. Um, I don't really think about it as an option. It's just part of my week that I have to go there and I get to go there and work with the kids there. And it's very meaningful for me. And I know these last uh, almost now four years of doing it has meant so much to me and been very important. And as cliche as it sounds, I know it's cliche, but it's the truth. I know I've gotten a lot much out of it as far as what I've been able to, um, as far as how I've grown or how it's affected me, that I was able to give. And again, this is why we say it's better to give than to receive because you get so much out of giving. 
and I don't mean get in the other way of just receiving something like money or attention, but as far as some good feeling from within that I've gotten from going there. And so I hope people really take that seriously. Think about what you can do. And it has to be something that means something to you. For you, it might not be working with kids or working with animals. It might be something else. Whatever it is, find that thing that is meaningful to you, a group that you'd like to help more, um, a way that you feel like you can contribute using some of your gifts and talents to other people. But make it a priority. Schedule it into your days and your weeks. Make it something that you're going to commit to and make it part of your life. I can assure you, you won't regret it. You might feel like you don't have the time. I can get that. People are very busy. So I'm not saying you're not busy, but find a way to make it work. Even I think it's a great way when you're getting to know someone to do service together, to do something together where you're giving to others. You can bond over that and see what the other person is like. But personally, I hope everyone will consider a way that they can give and put community service in their daily or maybe weekly or monthly schedule. And even if they can give in other ways to people around them, that will help as well. I don't have a lot less left to give in my voice. So I'll end the segment here. Studio number 310441 You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. We'll be right back. back let's see how my voice holds up for the rest of this segment uh, but what i want to talk about now is uh, an issue related to relationships so couples very often will come into therapy and usually the motivating factor to come in is that they're having fights or things are not going well in that sense that they're arguing getting mad at each other getting upset and there's these problems that they have that bring them in and of course, these are very important to deal with and to work on. But sometimes what we see is that what's causing the problems, or not really just what's causing the problems, but really what's most important is that the foundation of their love is not very strong. And so what I want to talk about now is not just about the problems that people have, but sometimes what we see in relationships is that they are not fighting necessarily into people this can mean or they think it's a good sign. But the problem is more that they don't have a strong foundation or connection and there's a lack of openness in the relationship. So I've also worked with couples that they come in and seem, things seem to be okay, but something feels missing. And what's missing is that they aren't very close to one another. There isn't a lot of depth to their love. And so this itself is a problem. So problems aren't just fights and arguments and yelling and screaming. Yes, those things are definitely very clear problems. But in a way, a more silent killer of a relationship is the lack of closeness that two people can have because there isn't a strong foundation of friendship and love, of closeness and openness. And so we have to be willing to be open in our relationships. I know this sounds very cliche and simple, but it's very hard for many people to do. And also it becomes harder when people sometimes hear advice from lots of people, but there's a conventional wisdom of you have to pick your battles. So if you're upset about something, you don't have to bring it up. Don't bother your husband or your wife. Don't make it a big deal. Just hold it in. 
just bring up the things that really bother you. Don't bring up the things that bother you just a little bit because in order to have a marriage, you have to be willing to overlook a lot of things. And this seems to make some sense, but really it doesn't pan out. The reality isn't that couples that hold things in do better, that pick their battles. What we see is that couples who are open, who express when they're unhappy or don't like something, they're the ones who do much better. They're the ones that are happier long term. And there's many reasons for this, but one is that when we don't bring up issues, they don't go away. They just become bigger and have a more negative effect. It's kind of like if you have a tooth pain or if you have some bacteria in your teeth and you ignore it, it doesn't go away. It just becomes worse and turns into an infection or a cavity or a whole decay of the tooth. The issues don't go away. The bacteria or whatever it is you have going on won't go away in your mouth. It's just going to get worse. And that's what happens in our relationships. So when we talk about bringing things up, when I say let your partner know you're upset, it's not because I want you to have a fight or an argument or have an uncomfortable conversation just because I want you to feel uncomfortable. It's that I don't want you to hold on to something that is going to turn into something bigger and worse and create more damage and pain in your relationship. We go and get a teeth cleaning, not because we like the feeling of instruments in our mouth, but we want them to take out all of the things that are already there, the bacteria and whatever, the plaque that is building up so that it doesn't turn into something worse. Even if we might like seeing our dentist because he or she is very nice, we don't go there for that reason. We go because we know it's going to help in the long term. So we need this type of cleaning for our relationships too, to not allow for things to build up and to become worse. And so when I work with couples, I tell them the reason why I'm asking you to be open to your partner isn't to hurt them because that's what people will say. They'll say, why should I tell my husband or my wife that they did something I didn't like? It's just going to make them upset. And this goes back to this idea that we have that if something feels good, you should do it. If something feels bad, you shouldn't do it. If something makes you sad, you shouldn't do it. If something makes you happy, do that. And that's not what's going to be best for you long term. What's best for you long term is that if something needs to be addressed, you face it. And sometimes there is going to be some growing pains or some uh, difficulties and discomfort we have to face in order to make things better. So when you're telling your partner something that bothered you, you're not saying, oh, I want to make them feel bad. If that's your intention, then you shouldn't say anything and you have bigger problems. But the intention is, I love you. And I love our love and our relationship so much that I want to bring up this issue, even though I know it might feel uncomfortable, because I value you and I value my feelings and I value us. That's a very different intention that I want to hurt you or make you upset. It's because you value yourself and your partner and the relationship that you're bringing it up. You want things to stay healthy and strong. You don't want to allow for the buildup of negative things that are going to hurt the relationship. And the problem is when you hold things in, just like the analogy of having some kind of tooth decay, things don't get better, they just get worse. And you hold on to it and you build resentment. Because if your partner did something you didn't like, in all likelihood, they're going to keep doing that thing. 
And so you get more and more upset. It becomes worse. And then at some point you explode. And of course, this is going to be really bad because it's almost always going to be an ugly discussion or fight. And it's going to lead to bigger problems. So even though we think we're being so good by holding on to things, those things don't just disappear and they unfortunately build and become worse. So another reason why it's so important to share things with your partner is that you then let them know what they may have done or what's going on in the relationship that you don't like so they can make a change. Now you can make an improvement. It can make your relationship even stronger. And something we know that happens in a relationship is that when we have discussions that can even be arguments, they can even feel a little bit bad when they're happening. When we handle them with respect for one another and openness and not being defensive and trying to get to understand each other and the situation better, people feel closer to one another. It makes the relationship stronger rather than weaker. So to avoid having these conversations because we want to pick our battles and we don't want to upset each other, it's hurting the relationship both by allowing things to fester and build up and become worse, but also you're taking away an opportunity for connection, closeness, and repairing things in the relationship. So if your partner says something you don't like, you need to let them know. You know, I didn't like when you said this, I felt this way. This is how I felt. And they can hopefully be open to that and say, oh, I didn't know you didn't like that. I was, let's say, making a joke or I didn't know what I was saying was harsh. And hopefully they'll take that in. And if you can both be not defensive about things, you can make actually a lot closer of a relationship with that. Unfortunately, another thing that, ha that happens when people avoid these conversations is they make a lot of assumptions about each other. Oh, I, I always thought you hated this or I always thought you liked this. Because it's not communicated what's going on. Your partner can't read your mind. And even I, you could be a therapist, you can be someone who's very intuitive, but no matter what, we're not always going to be able to read our partners accurately. We have a hard enough time knowing what we're feeling ourselves a lot of the times, let alone can we predict and know what someone else is feeling. So we both have to be open in sharing our feelings and saying, this is how I feel. But also as a partner, we have to be open to asking how our partner is doing. How are you feeling right now? Are you upset? Because to me, you seem upset. And maybe they'll say, no, I'm not. Or maybe they say, yes, I am. But we want to have regular conversations about how we are feeling in the relationship and how we are feeling about things. You can't expect your partner to be a mind reader. So many times I've heard someone say, well, I thought she knew I was upset. It was so obvious. Or I thought he knew I hated this. I always make a face when he suggests we do this or we go do that. But your partner isn't going to know what's happening. They're going to miss it. And sometimes they're going to misunderstand what you're feeling. I thought she hated going here because she made this kind of face. But then it turns out she actually would get so excited. She was nervous that you would take her anxiety as not liking it. But you didn't really see what was going on. So we have to communicate because we're not going to know what's happening and we're going to make the wrong assumptions because that's just the nature of how we are. We can't know what the other person is feeling until they communicate it to us. But so the goal is we want to have a strong, loving relationship. Of course, that sounds good and it is, but it's also because this is the foundation of our relationship. We want to have a strong connection. And John Gottman, who's done 
decades of research on marriages, he has concluded that the best predictor of a marriage is the quality of the friendship between the partners. There has to be a strong, loving connection of friendship. And of course, when I say friendship, I don't mean that you're just friends, that there isn't a sexual attraction and a romantic feeling, but that there has to be this underlying friendship between the two people. And so going back to the analogy of the foundation, this becomes the foundation of the building that you're making together, which is your love. And of course, as is always going to be the case, from the outside, there's going to be stresses that you will face together financially or family issues or things with kids, whatever it is that you're going through. And also internally, every relationship is going to have its ups and downs. There's going to be pains and things that come up within it. The stronger that foundation is, the more your relationship can withstand. So this is why we want to pay attention to our relationship and not to just think, well, if we don't fight, that means means everything is okay. Another issue with not fighting I've talked about is that very often it can mean one of two things. One is that you aren't very close to each other because if you're not very close to someone, you're not going to fight with them because they don't really bring up much feelings for you. If you go to Starbucks every day and order a drink and talk to the person for two minutes, you're very likely not going to fight with them because you don't bring up that much for each other because you're not that close. And that's okay. It's a very pleasant relationship that stays at the surface and serves the function it's supposed to serve, and that's okay. But if you have that kind of a feeling in your relationship that you're not that close to each other and you don't feel that much, that's a problem. And the other thing we see in couples that never fight, as they say, is that one or both of them is holding things in. So they're not happy about something or they don't feel good, but they hold it in. And that itself will lead to distance also. So don't measure your relationship just on if you fight or not, because you need to have arguments. You need to have fights. As we like to say, it's not about if you fight. It's about how you fight, how you handle arguments. Arguments can either break your relationship or they can make your relationship stronger, happier, and have a healthier chance of surviving your whole lives if you're able to handle these fights well so if you're in a relationship and you don't fight at all that it's that's a problem and even using a a persian term i've seen couples that can be tarofi with each other meaning they're almost being too polite with each other that they don't want to say their feelings because it might hurt the other person and they hold back and they think it's coming from kindness but really that's coming more from a fear of what it will be like to be open. A good relationship is not one based on just politeness of I'm going to hold things in and hide them from you to not hurt you. A strong relationship is one where we're not afraid to be open. Or I should say, even though it might be scary to be vulnerable and open, we take that risk anyway because we know it's worth it. It's like you're climbing a mountain and it's a little bit scary the higher you go because you can fall further but you know it's worth it to make it to the top because it'll feel good to get to the top, but also you get to enjoy the beautiful view, a view that you don't get to enjoy from down there. So you have to risk going higher, even though it could hurt more, even though it's scarier, but you know that it's worth it. So when you enter your relationships, we have to have that same feeling, that it is a little bit scary to open up, to be vulnerable, to share myself with someone else, but I know that it'll be worth it in that if I find someone who loves me for everything I am and shows me who they are and I love them, then I can create a very beautiful love, create something that is more meaningful than I can create without that risk. 
And like the risk of going up the mountain, you don't just go to the top all at once. You go step by step. So when you're being open with your partner, when you're starting a relationship, you're opening up slowly, showing more of yourself over time. As they show you that you can trust them, that they're loving you, that they're making you feel good, you show them more and more, and the relationship becomes deeper and more beautiful, and you enjoy something much more significant. So we have to look at our relationships and see it's not just if we're fighting, um, it's how we fight. And if you're not fighting at all, don't take that as a strength of the relationship. If you're having no arguments, that means you're probably holding things in or not very close, both of which are going to hurt your relationship in the long term. And we have to seek from ourselves to be open and genuine with our partners and find a partner who does the same. Don't pick your battles. If something is bothering you, bring it up. Bring it up in a kind, respectful way, but don't hold it in. All right, we've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes, I am. Hello. <laughs> Hi, thanks for calling. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, let me know how I can help you. Well, I don't know if you remember me or not. I called a few weeks ago and um, regarding my son, who's 23 years old, and we're living in Germany, Munich, and you told me that I should go and hug him and tell him that I'm sorry about the pain that he caused me. Do you remember that? I remember, yes, I remember a bit about it, but uh, even for my own memory, but people who might not have been listening, in a way, we'll, okay, we'll, have, yeah. we'll start from scratch just to make it uh easier for for all but yes i do remember a bit about that it was a very difficult life with his father also i believe not being in the picture and him going through a lot of struggles but it's something i recommend to lots of people but especially parents that having uh, that kind of conversation when you can apologize for what your kids have been through and what you've done and it's not about apologizing because you're a bad person or a bad parent you've almost definitely tried your best but recognizing that there's ways that you've hurt them, even in trying your best. You've hurt your children, and especially if they've been through a lot, the child very likely had little or no say in what happened to them. And so it can be a meaningful way of creating a connection with them to have that kind of conversation of acknowledging what they've been through and, and apologizing to them for that. I don't know if I remember saying the hug part, but the hug part sounds good too. Um, giving him a hug and saying sorry might make it even more meaningful depends on the, the connection you have with the person. But yes, so um, like I said, we'll, well, in a way, I remember some of what we talked about. We'll, we'll play it as if we're starting from scratch. But go ahead. Where would you, what would you like to talk about today? Yes, I wanted to tell you that I did so and I apologized and I said, I'm sorry that you're in pain and you were and I caused that and stuff. But that mm -hmm. was not, of course, um, how do you call it? I did. I didn't do it. Um, I mean, I didn't mean to do it. That was my life. You know how hard I also tried to get you out of those problems and stuff. We really went through harsh times because um, I came here first. I didn't know from Iran. I was alone. You know, I I slept 14 days in, in a park with him mm. without knowing that there are. Um, somewhere that I could get help or stuff, you know. I didn't know the language. I didn't know nothing. So I really went through a harsh, harsh mm -hmm. time. But still, I did so, and the next day uh, the uh, result was 
that he woke up and he made an appointment with a, with a doctor and he went there and he said, yeah, I could talk with him very properly and mm. stuff. And he started cleaning his room. Well, I mentioned something that you said it's not that that's not a big deal. But here in Germany, the apartments are so small. For example, we have only two rooms mm-hmm. and one bathroom. Well, let me can I stop you for a second? And again, from my own uh to refresh my memory, what was it that he was dealing with? Well, I know you wanted him to go see a therapist. Is, yeah. My main problem is that he is totally, absolutely careless about his surroundings. Mm-hmm. For example, I got angry again yesterday, and I started, to, when I get angry, I shout. It's, it's I don't know, it's a, uh, coming from my depression, maybe, with, with my own problems, with, with my parents and stuff. Maybe, and and I want you to even, in hearing you say that, I know it's something you do and you've done, but to not make it that something it's completely out of your control. So yes, if we're depressed or down, and if we've had a family where yelling was something that was very common, it will be something that we easily will go towards. But I do want to give you the power and the authority and the responsibility that you don't have to yell at him. You don't have to shout. There can be a different way of handling things, and you can do something Dr. different. Dr. Halakli, when I say something 10,000 times, I show him, and I tell him, for example, look, we have only one bathroom, and I don't, ha- I didn't have time to clean the bathroom once I wanted to go there and then clean after it, of course, mm-hmm. because I used the bathroom. And I show him this is the way you can clean it, and you know Persian people are very hairy, and I'm, I'm very, very... Uh, sensitive with hairs when I see hairs on everywhere, you know, and I told him, look, here is hair, there, there is hair, you can simply just with water at least wash your hairs, but what I want to brush my teeth, I don't, I don't have to see them. And how many times I can just tell, tell him how to do, and then again, after 10,000 times, it's the same. Yeah. But, sure, and I get your frustration, but you tell me, do you think 10,000 one time is going to help? Probably I mean, not. Not only that, but I, mean, I know. I'm, I'm, but I'm my point is, okay? I know. Hold on, hold on, hold on. My point is, we 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 need to try a different approach. So if you've tried something ten thousand times, it didn't work. If you tell me you want to try ten thousand one, knock yourself out. But we should expect it's not going to work. And to me, when I hear what you're saying, and this is just one thing about, like you said, there's other things I'm sure. But the approach of you should do this is not going to get anywhere. If you want to work with him, there's more of a chance. Now, in all likelihood, you and him have different wants as far as how much you want the restroom to be clean. So you want it to be cleaner than he was. He wants. And so in order for you and him to work together, you have to recognize that he doesn't want what you want. And if you want to make things the way you want it to be, you have to recognize you're it's asking. About my hygiene. It's okay. about my health. Yes, but okay. No, but seeing hair in the sink, I don't think you should want to see it. But that's not so much about hygiene. You're saying you're sensitive to this, which is fine. I'm not saying it, it shouldn't be cleaner. But you have to realize you're asking him to do something that he doesn't really care about. For him, it's not as important as it is to you. And so you are, in a way, asking of a favor of him and meeting you in the way you want. But outside of that, I know he's not a kid. You, uh, he's 23? Yes. Okay. For example, the yes, but hold on. Let me. I, I know. I know you have a lot of things you're upset about. Clearly, you. It's like you want me to, to tell you and recognize how much you've been through, and I get it. You've been through a lot, and you're going through a lot with him. It doesn't seem like things are easy. My point is not and to I minimize. Got help. I got some youth 
office, everywhere. They okay. can also do nothing about him. Okay. And that, so that's we have to recognize that's part of the situation. It's not going to be an easy situation. My point is to say, I'm not saying it's easy to live with him. I don't know what you're going through. I'm but, tired. Yes, I feel that. And I want you to get that if you keep attacking him, it's not going to make him... First of all, you can't make him do anything, but it's not even going to get him to do what you want. It's only going to make things worse, and you're going to get more frustrated. Actually, the book that I'm reading this week, even though it's more targeted towards kids, it might benefit you. It's called No Drama Discipline by Daniel Siegel and uh, Tina Bryson. No Drama Discipline, so you can look for that book. But even you can look up online, even if you don't read the whole book, the approach of how you discipline someone. And discipline doesn't mean just punish but helping them to do the right things and do things you want and helping them grow. Because if you keep attacking him and putting him down and saying, why don't you do this, why don't you do that, exactly. we're not going to get anywhere. That's why I decided to throw him out of 14th January. That's what I also mentioned last time. I don't know if you remember. Yes. You... I it, you don't know if it's the right way to kick him out or not. <laughs> yeah. But, for example, a few days ago I went shopping. I have problems with my elbow, and I shot two cartoons with it. He knows about it. Lately, I'm, I'm losing my vision. I can only see 20% with, with, with special glasses and stuff. That's why I got jobless. Although I studied a lot here, I tried to do everything that I could alone with a child. And um, I went shopping. He sees that I'm carrying heavy things. I don't have a car or stuff, but he sees that I, I cannot drive because of my eyes. He sees that I'm carrying stuff. And then Yesterday, I went to to the fridge to drink something, and although I buy usually from every stuff two times, and I told him many times, one is for you, another one is for me, but he leaves nothing for me there, not even mm. one drop of drink. Okay. And I tell him, what am I for you, Sammy? Do you even think one epsilon on me? Do you think that... I'm somebody here. In, I'm, I cannot be in service for you all the time. Okay, what does he say? I mean, and in that kind of conversation, uh, his response is going to be, it's hard for him to give a good response. But I'm wondering, what does he say to those things? He just says, um, okay, I'm sorry, Mom. And okay. then the next day is the same thing. So what, what I, I can see how those things are frustrating. Again, my, my point is to minimize what you're going through. But... I'm trying to help you and also help him because what's happening is not good for either of you. So I would say having conversations with him, not in the heat of the moment, but at other times, and conversations, not lectures of you telling him you have to do this, you should do this, this is the right way, why are you treating me this way? But conversations of how can we work together better or maybe things he does that you don't like or things you would like to see change. But do it not when in the middle of it when you're yelling because if you're yelling like that nothing is going to come out of it i understand you're frustrated but I it's not going to help that. that's why i'm coming up to yelling right now it's because yes. i tried all the other ways maybe it's possible i'm not saying i have an easy solution for you but i'd hope you have some hope that you can do something different because if you approach it the same way and if you approach it with the yelling and the frustration i can almost assure you you're just going to get more upset and he's going to get more hurt and upset and your relationship will just get worse. So what we want to try to do is find a way that will improve the relationship between you and him and also increase the chances that you and him can collaborate or work together rather than continue what's happening now. So I get it. If he's not pulling his weight, that's not going to be easy for you when you're already dealing with a lot and have a lot of stress that you have to manage. 
but you have to work with him, meaning there has to be conversation. So you can say, what can you do around the house? What do you think? Nothing. Absolutely he says, nothing. he'll tell you I should do nothing? No, but okay, but when you when I hear yeah, 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 that means that when you're having the conversation, you're lecturing him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah means okay, just shut up. I don't want to hear you anymore, which means it's not a conversation. That's what I'm saying is you have to change the theme of the conversation. If it starts with you don't do anything in the house, what do you mean? Why don't you do this? He's gonna say yeah, 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 and that's gonna end. So I'm saying you have to have the conversation very differently, or make it a conversation rather than a lecture or. Uh, you know, you reprimanding him. And I get that you're frustrated. He's 23 years old. He's not a kid. He's not even doing the things that he has to do for his own. Okay, sure. Passport is expired. Mm-hmm. He, does, he has lost his ID, his, 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 his uh, residency here. I say, go and do your stuff. I don't want you to do for me something. At least go and do your, that's your life. Yes. And he says, yeah, 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 I'll go. And he <laughs> okay. doesn't do that. Yeah, but again, even... I want you to still hear the difference. I get that you're frustrated. I'm not saying he's easy to live with. But I want you to just get when you tell him you should, you should, you need to. When he says, yeah, 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 from now on, when you hear, yeah, 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 I want you to ask yourself, okay, how am I talking in a way that makes the response, yeah, yeah, yeah? Because if you're yelling at him and lecturing him, that's what you're going to get. And maybe no matter what you do, this is what you're going to get. But I'm just saying I want you to recognize that you are contributing to this too. We can't just say it's only him. Is he no, easy to live with? Okay. Well, but okay. I, I really don't know what to do with it. You okay. Know? Well, that's what I'm saying. I want you to approach it differently. If you lecture him, I can assure you it's not going to get any better. And a lot of times parents think my job is to give the best lecture to my kids to convince them, them to do something. But almost never has a kid been convinced when their parent says, for example, and actually I read this in the book last night, you know, you should have started your homework earlier. What is the kid supposed to do at that moment, and how does that ever help someone? So the lecture is not important. It's not going to help. What needs to happen is meaningful conversations and connections between you and him. So if you're yelling at him because you're frustrated, just know. you can. Okay, you're going to do it. I'm sure you'll do it again because we don't expect it to never happen again. But just know that that's not going to be the thing that changes him or changes the situation. It has to be a different approach. It has to be you and him talking to each other, having a conversation. He's unhappy about his life too. I'm sure he is. And you connecting to him in that way, not just saying, why don't you do these things? You should do this. You should do that. But realizing he's unhappy too. And you guys can actually have a conversation rather than a fight every time. He can tell you what he's unhappy about. He can tell you what he doesn't feel good about. But the problem is if he feels attacked by you, that even if he's unhappy with himself, he can't tell you. He can't come to you and say, you know, Mom, I'm so disappointed in myself that I didn't take care of this. Because you're going to lecture him say, see, I told you. You should have done it a month ago. I told you to no, do it I two months ago. I never did that. I never did that. Okay, good. Good. But you have I to... I never did that. And he feels so, so close to me that he wants to even talk about his relationship with a few girls that he had. And I said, stop, stop, stop. Okay. That's your private stuff, and I don't want to know about your sexual relationship with your girlfriend. That's not mine. Okay, maybe, and you can set I mean, boundaries with him. So, um, let's say free to talk about everything, even that that part. Mm-hmm. Or he comes to me and says, "Mom, sorry, I don't have condoms. I need some condoms because somebody's coming." I say, "Okay, 
So that, that close relationship I tried to make with him because I didn't have that myself with my parents. With my parents. Well, but here's the thing. Because you didn't have that relationship with your parents, and sometimes this is what parents can do, we almost go to another extreme and maybe you're having too close of a relationship. I don't think it's just him that's created this type of relationship that now you feel is too close. You've very likely contributed to it. The way you've also described your life, you guys didn't really have much else but each other. So there's a good chance you are dependent on each other. And so this is what I mean that even in him being so, you know, as you're putting it, bad at taking care of things, I'm sure there's a part of that that you are probably doing too much for him or maybe still do too much for him. If he's not being responsible, you have to hold him accountable. He can't just have no consequences either. So, again, it's not about blaming you, but it's trying to understand the situation that, okay, if he's someone that doesn't take responsibility, how have I contributed to him becoming that way? My guess is there are some ways you've done that. And it's about understanding that contribution to then try to make changes, which will be hard to make because he's 23 and a lot of his personality and the way he is is going to be pretty fixed. But it doesn't mean he can't grow and change. But we just know it's going to be hard and it's going to be slow. Exactly. So you, that's why I decided to kick him out. Well, I don't I mean, that's a pretty fast way of trying to make things change. Well, you know, have to know somehow the, the, the consequences. But, but I, I know, always... I know, but this is what I want you to hear. Again, I'm saying sometimes you're not giving him consequences. So this is what parents do sometimes. I'm not saying exactly this is what you do. They say, you know, a kid needs to know about consequences, and the kid doesn't do their homework, and the parent does their homework for them while they're sleeping, and then they go in, and then the next time they do it again, they say he needs to know about consequences. Well, you didn't let him face the consequences to see what life is like, to see That's that sometimes very, things... very much lazy. Okay. This is something he inherited from his dad because that was one of the reasons I I can tell you that I got divorced from his dad. Okay, and that's another thing and you I have to out with him. Yes, and you, you have to realize that also you might be um, you know, this is another thing that happens especially in divorces but even when people are still married, you'll see his father in him maybe in ways that are actually there but sometimes maybe ways that are not. And so no, I'm saying you are going to. You're going to see, you're going to say, oh, he's being like his dad. And that anger you have towards his dad, you might even take out on him. Because when I hear you talk, I can feel that you are overwhelmed. There's a lot you're dealing with. But I also feel that you bring a lot of your past. We all do it, but you're bringing a lot of your past into your present also. And so it's uh, affecting. It's inevitable. Somehow, of course. You know, because he was, he was, let me tell, tell you a short story. How about story this? About, yeah. I want to hear the short story, but we're at a, a, a commercial break. I'm going to talk okay. to you after the break, okay? But I want you to think right. about that, that a lot of what you're also dealing with has to do with what you're bringing into this, which you're right, is inevitable. But when we become a more, when we become more aware of it, we can sometimes become aware of what we're doing. But hold on the line. Let's talk some more after the break, okay? All right. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fire Duluk. We will be right back. Back before the break, we were with the caller. Let's go back to her now. Caller, are you still hello, there? Yes, okay, yeah. hello. All right. So as I mentioned before the break, uh, clearly you're dealing with a lot with your son, and I get you're frustrated and overwhelmed. Um, but something I mentioned to you at the end was when you talked about his father being the same way, and maybe he inherited that. It's possible. But I wanted you to be aware of the fact that you might project some of that onto him. Because I've seen with a lot of people they'll notice something in their kid that reminds them of their husband or ex-husband or wife or ex-wife and they'll react 
over the top because they're so scared. Oh my God, he's going to become like him or she's going to become like her. And they take it out on the kid or make it too big of a deal. So we don't want to say. I was aware of that as yes. well. Yes. Okay. And that's why I didn't say that until a few years ago that I was really, um, I mean, he was caught with drugs and the policemen, everyone came here and I was just exploded then, you know. And mm. right now it's like I'm living with anxiety because each, I mean, doesn't matter when somebody rings the bell, I'm not sure if it's a policeman or something. And, you know, the main problem, my main problem is my mom, that it interferes a lot from Iran into my life and my style with him all the time. Okay. And when I tell her, for example, yeah, I don't know, he says that he was not paying his, his why well, well, he has to pay monthly for his court, then she... And uh, and he said, okay, uh, it might be that someone comes over here into my house and uh, in our home and takes something with them, and they can probably take my piano, for example. And my mom says, okay, sell your piano. What's wrong with it? I mean, it, yeah. she doesn't even care about my life. What I did here alone. Well, them. yeah, I mean, you you know that that kind of advice is very devaluing of what you're going through and that's why I want to make sure I don't come off that way because I don't want to undermine your experience and the challenges that you're facing because it, it well, doesn't seem easy me, yeah your grandma also uh, lived uh, her lifetime with your uncle what can you do he's not eating uh, somebody's uh, else food yes okay mom right now I'm jobless till now I could work I could handle everything I could afford everything Mm-hmm. Right now, I cannot because I have to go under the welfare because of my disease, because of my eyes. I cannot afford it. Yes. Do you understand that? Just, no. She I might, can't. And she might not understand that. And we might not have to wait for her to understand that. We have to make sure you understand that, that you're okay with what you're doing and who you are and how you're living that's, your life. That's my struggle inside okay. me. From yes. one, hand, one hand, I think I, I should kick him out because of what he is and what he's doing to me, not even leaving one drink in the fridge for me where I'm doing everything. And but like I said... Absolutely nothing. And from the other hand, I'm scared that my mom says, hey, you're not a good mom because you did this and that. Well, thing. let's not focus uh-huh. on worry about what she's saying and focus on what you think and what you're going through. And... Also, make sure we don't make it black or white. Either you kick him out or you have to give him everything. Because, again, I think the problem is, and I want you to realize, that it seems like you probably gave him too much. Maybe That's beca- what everybody says. Okay. And I'm not saying this to blame you. I want you to try to understand that him, this 23-year-old man, who's in a lot of ways still a boy, is this way also because of everything you've gone through and everything you've done in parenting him. Some of it comes back to what's happened, which means we can change that too, but it's going to take time. He probably hasn't learned consequences. I can imagine based on how difficult and stressful life was and how difficult your own childhood was, maybe you never wanted him to suffer. You never wanted him to have any pain. So anytime something made him unhappy or he didn't like you, took care of it for him if you could. Because you thought there was so much I couldn't take care of for him, and there was so much he suffered. I did everything yes. possible um, um, because because of a special feeling that I had inside myself that it's my duty to do the best for him. That's not right. As a mother, or not as a feeling, because I didn't want to have this child. Well, that was the that was what I wanted to because my mom forced me to keep him. Well, that's I mean that's you know I, I can just you know obviously in hearing you talk and it's understandable. There's so much pain and anger in, in, in you. I can and I can understand that. Yes, I also I hate want my mom. What's that? I hate my mom. 
Okay, I, I feel that, yes. And that hate, of course, like I said, it's understandable that you have it, but now it's up to you to deal with it because the hate is only hurting you at the end. But what I wanted to say is something that a lot of parents think is that, okay, if I love my kid, I should do everything for them. I should do everything to make their life as easy and painless as possible. But we don't realize how much that's, that's not hurting. What my mom did to me. No. Although I was the only child. I didn't no, say that's what your mom did. did no, I, I know. I'm and I'm I'm not I'm saying that's what it seems like you're saying you've done for your son. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of parents think is the best thing. And sometimes I use this type of an analogy is imagine a mom saying, I love my kid so much, I never want him to have to walk. And, and walk and maybe get hurt. So I'm going to carry him. And the kid is one. She carries him. The kid is two, four, five. She can barely carry her kid. And he's 10 years old. But she still says, I never want him to have to worry about walking. And she thinks it's because she loves him so much. But that's not love. She's hurting her kid yeah. because her kid never gets to grow to learn how to walk on his own to take care of himself. So sometimes we have to realize that doing everything for our kid doesn't mean literally doing everything for them. Our role as a parent is to help them grow and develop, which means we have to let them face consequences, face challenges, to grow, to experience things, to have pains. All those types of things are part of loving them the most. When we take that away from them, we are hurting them. That's so, what I'm telling my mom all the time. Said, okay. This is not a friendship. Please stop that. But she, it looks like that she, 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 she doesn't want to understand. But why do you, okay, She where does she live? Tehran, okay, so that's fine. I'm not, no, I'm just saying she's far away. Then you don't have to talk to her as much. It's because of my dad. I was totally cutting with them because of what my mom did to me and stuff. But everybody said, please, because of your dad. Because your dad is 81 and we're afraid that it gets too late and stuff. My dad really, I love my dad. Okay. And only because of my dad, I said, okay, I talked to them again. All right. Well, you have to but recognize... It's, it's, a, it's a kind of, I don't know, really, I, I, I feel like I cannot go forward i cannot step backward i'm just well look if you in a corner, corner I, and don't know yes. where to go this is my life here that's my parents there this is my job this is my life and if and if you wait to make your mom happy with your choices you're never going to get there and you're just going to drive yourself crazy so either you have to talk to them less or you have to just not listen much to what she's saying which i know is easier said than done but you have to just accept that it's not that she knows something and is telling you what to do because she's giving you the right or wrong. She's just giving her you her opinion, which seems to be coming from a, the very same place, and it seems to be very critical. So if you wait to make her happy... I love my son over everything. Yes. Over everything. And because of... But hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. But you've... Let's, let's forget about your mom for a second, Okay. We're not going to talk about you. Let's talk about you. You've also done that, right? You've put him above everything, which as a parent in a way is a good thing, but you've done it in the way of not giving him responsibilities to really face his life either. So that's why I know it sounds like I'm blaming you, but that's not at all what I want to focus on. It's okay. It's okay. Okay. I've been blamed so many times. No, that's not, that doesn't make it just because you've been, if you told me you've been hit a lot, I don't think it's okay for someone to hit you. So that's not what I'm trying to do is, if someone hurts you in the same way, it doesn't mean I can hurt you in that way, but that's not at all my intention. My intention is for you to try to understand the situation better. Your son is not defective or he wasn't because of his father this way or because of anything else. It's a lot of things, but we have to see what you've done and what else can be done now. Because if we just assume and accept that he's just broken in some way, 
well, then you have to just give up and kick him out and there's no choice. But if we see that he is a man who, again, still in a lot of ways is a boy, we can see what we can do differently to help him to grow. There was a lot of growing he hasn't done yet. And some of that is very likely because you didn't let him grow. And that's okay. We're going to try to give it to him now. But if we focus on him as broken, well, then we have to just give up. And you have to accept... Situation was like I was not there all the time because mm-hmm. I had to work okay. a lot, and um, I understand I was not physically there for him. But I told him whenever you need me, just give me a call, and I'll be like your genie. I'll be there in case of any problem. And that didn't work. So well, also I, you know, can I, I found him can I tell you something? Okay. Even in hearing you say that, I get where it was coming from for you. But it almost creates this unrealistic way of life where, first of all, you're not there, which hurts. But then if you need anything, it just gets taken care of. So I think you were probably feeling guilty that you couldn't be there, even though it seems like you had no choice. You were trying That's to survive. Problem. Yes. So that guilt made you feel like even more, I have to give him everything. When I am there, I have to give him everything. Or I have to go above and beyond and do even exactly. more. That, okay. That was- Okay, so that's why, and so in this boy, especially, and this is, you know, I, I, I know a lot of times parents think, well, if you love your kids too much, they get spoiled. No, if you give your child the love and attention they need, they don't become spoiled. They get spoiled when they don't get enough of something, and they try to fill it up with something else. So he needed more time with you. It wasn't your choice to give him what you were giving him. You couldn't give him more. He wanted more time. Because of that, maybe he became spoiled in other ways. He wanted to get babied or nurtured, and you wanted to baby him too, so you felt good that you were giving him more love. And so you guys created this codependent relationship, and that's where you're at, where you would take care of everything. But of course, now you're getting overwhelmed because it's harder for you to take care of even just yourself because of things you're going through, and you want for him to do more, but you never raised him in the way of being someone who would take on things on his own. And so here you are with a 23-year-old boy who you want to take because on more I responsibilities did for my own myself sure okay whatever i did was my really I, I always tell my mom you absolutely did nothing for me whatever i am right now whatever because i, I worked on myself and this is what okay financially you supported me everything i had but that was not what i wanted yes you didn't okay. teach me how to live to, to live the life you didn't teach me how to nothing nothing actually and she was even telling me myself that the first day you got married, I thought all the time you're coming up starts to tell me, Mom, how should I cook? And I never did that. And she was wondered. I said, yeah, okay, I didn't, but I looked. I watched you. And I thought, okay, children watch. You should not tell them everything. They can watch and at least get something out of you. Yes, okay. And I'm not sure what... I, I get... Look, your, your anger towards your mom is very palpable. And... You talking to her every day is just going to drive you crazy. So I cannot answer this question. Why? Why did I have to suffer all these 23 years you know, for a kid that I did not want it to? Well, but that's, an, here's, he, that's another. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know you did not. You're saying your mom forced you to have him. But. Yeah, because I wanted to do the abortion. I knew okay, that I, I know. Hold on. Give, hold on. Okay, I, I, I look, I, I'm, there's a lot to unravel there, and we won't be able to do that on the line right now. But you have to, at some level, accept that this is your son, and he is here. That's the reality now. You didn't want him, I understand. But right now, you've had him 23 years, and he had no choice either. So we can't because blame him. I was so frustrated because he, 
But okay, can you see how stuck you are? Up? I know, but you are so stuck with in 23 years ago that you can't be a, as good of a mom as you can be now if you stay stuck there. If you're still, I didn't even want this, then you're not going to be able to be there for your son now because you're still going to be back there 23 years ago. So you're going to have to accept what has happened now. It wasn't your choice. It wasn't fair. Did you deserve it? You can ask God about all those things. I can't answer those for you. All I can tell you is right now you have a 23-year-old son, and that's your reality. You can either face it or you can just be mad at your mom about it. But if you don't want to face it, it's still going to be there anyway. Of course, that's a fact. I, I understand that. But why should I? I mean, he's 23 years okay. old now. And I ask yes. myself, why should I do it more? Especially when a few days ago his uncle called after so many, I don't know, years. It's, it's something like maybe yeah 23 years let's say he never called and then all of a sudden he calls from states that hey um how about coming over here and i want to adapt you i want to tell him hey what did he tell you is it nothing it's something just between he and i i said i'm your mom i need to know what he told you know that's something between me and him okay so do you want your son or you don't want your son going to get grow up he's going to be a help because i never went to another man all these years i just thought okay i put my time for my son but he made a lot of troubles i had to study i had to work i had to i really didn't have that much time i i, I thought when he, he grows older we can work together we can share things we're going to have a good life i understand what i hope yes i and but something i'm you know i want you to get this you've been through so much but when I hear you talk, even right now, it felt like you were saying you almost wanted your son to grow up to become your husband. No, no. I you said, I said, never. you said, hold on, hold on. You said, I never could rely on a man or got something from a man. You were hoping he would turn in. I, that's what I want you to get. You have been through so much that you're carrying all that pain into every relationship and every moment now, which of course we all do to a degree, but you have a lot of pain and anger. And so today it's like, why is he not the man he's supposed to be for me now? He's still your son. You're not supposed to expect much from why him. Why he's not a man who's supposed to be for himself? I, I mean, I that don't know. That's my question. I know. for me. I understand, why but gonna... hold on. Have you, have you been paying attention to what we've been talking about? Can you not see the ways that you've also contributed to that or that life circumstances have contributed to that? Just being mad at him, getting mad at him is not going to solve it. That's all. I, I can understand your frustration. It's not easy. That's what I want you to get. If you go yell at him, I can promise you things won't get better. If you want, you can go yell at him again. Go for it. No, I just told him, go into your room. I don't want to see you anymore. Okay, great. That's anger. That's the same thing. That's still anger. If you're only going to act from anger, things won't get better. And underneath the anger, I know there's a lot of pain. You've been hurt a lot. But I want you to understand that if you think by getting angrier at him, things are going to get better, you're almost definitely just going to get more uh, frustrated yourself, damage your relationship with him, and only push him further down rather than push him up. So I'm just letting you know what it seems to be. Sure. I'm not, I'm not saying, my point is not to say, hold on, my point is not to say, why are you angry? I'm trying to let you know if you act from the anger, things won't get better. That's all I'm telling you. Okay. But, you know, when he was a child, and I realized the first time that I uh, came back from work that the door was open, 
and I thought he was inside, and he said, no, he forgot to close the door. I changed three refrigerators, God knows how many uh, uh, rulers, how many razors, how many school stuff I bought for him, how many shoes. He even came once without his shoes, and I said, is that possible? Yeah. I mean, you're ch- he sounds like he has strong ADHD and maybe other things as well. I, look, again, I think I'm telling you, you again think I'm saying don't be angry. I understand you're angry. I mean, how come you can? I, I worked and I gave 50 euros for the shoes that you wanted to. You asked me to. And now you're coming back home without shoes and you're telling me you didn't realize. Okay. And then, and then you have to ask yourself, what did I do next? Because very likely he didn't face any consequences. But here's the thing. We do have to wrap up, and I have other callers I want to get to, and I wouldn't mind talking right. to you more, but I, I just want you to hear again what I was just saying. I can understand you're angry, and underneath that anger, there's a lot, a lot of pain. But if you act from the anger, things won't get better. Meaning what that if can I do? You have to approach him differently. You have to have a conversation with him, and you have to deal with your own anger. I know you said he went to a doctor. You most definitely need to go. You have so much pain. If you don't go to your own therapy... I don't think things will get better. Yeah, I wanted to go, but here you, you don't get an appointment uh, before one year. I mean, okay, then, it, uh, well, you get that process started as soon as you can. I don't know the exact yes, yes, process. I'm, I'm, I'm because without, without healing a lot of this pain and not bringing every past relationship into the present, you're not going to get to move forward. I do have to wrap up because I want to bring up, uh, I have other people that have been holding for a while, and I want to make sure, sure I get to other people. Feel free to call again. We can talk some more, okay? Okay. It was nice talking to you. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, going into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, Dr. Halakri. Hi, thanks for calling. Uh, thank you. I'm glad to talk to you. I don't know if I have enough time. Yeah, we have about 12 minutes, 11 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see <how> we <laughs> Let's see what we can get done. Yes, go ahead. Um, actually, I'm calling for uh, a family, a very close family member of mine, that they have two kids, a 15 and a 5, mm-hmm. and they're having a very difficult time with the teen. Uh, she's a very smart girl. Uh, She's doing great with the school. But since she started high school, which is last year, she's in the second year right now, it's just uh, everything changed. I mean, of course, you know, she's going uh, through transition of being an adult and all that. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're having, like I said, a difficult time as far as uh, being able to direct her and control her. Maybe I shouldn't say controlling, but uh, she wants to go out. She wants to attend parties. Um, you know, she's very open as far as conversation when it comes in to want to try to have a drink or try cigarettes and all that. And parents are really suffering, and they're both high-educated parents. Uh, they don't live in the United States. They live in Canada. But uh, they do have a good relationship. They try to communicate. But what they're dealing with the kid a lot, uh, she has so much anger. I mean, uh because constantly when they're having conversation with her over everything that they want to tell her or make sure that, you know, what she's doing or what is she up to after a few minutes of conversation, if she wants things to be done her way, she's always uh, screaming or yelling and trying to 
she is just overreacting <laughs> about everything. Like if they tell her no, like you can't attend to this party, she could get mad and leave home and try to walk, go to like a family member's house that is close by or things like that. And uh, I know they, the couple, the parents are going to the therapy mm-hmm. just as a couple together okay, for good. the kids. And the kid also going to the therapy uh, okay. recently, but it looks like it hasn't much changed. And I was telling them, like, I'm going to try to find the time one day on my lunch break, and I'm happy that it finally happened. I listen to your show usually at my lunch or the next day repeat show at 5 a.m. when I get up. <laughs> and I've been trying to see uh, what these suggest, what kind of approach they need to have or what needs to be changed, because they're worried. I mean, uh, she likes to go out on the weekends. They know her friends. Uh, they mm-hmm. know where she's going sometimes, but they can't follow her when she's no, going to be out for dinner and this. And uh, you have to build that trust, which they are building, but they're, they're worried, like, because, like I said, she has interest about drinking. And, like, on the New Year at their house, they had a party. She asked her dad, like, you know, I want to have a drink. And they tried to be cool about it and said, okay, you know, you can have some champagne. But uh, apparently, based on what the parents were uh, telling me, uh, there was an episode this summer that she attended a friend's party and there was alcohol, obviously, high school kids, mm-hmm. and she had too much of a drink and, you know, and they called and the parents come out, got her home. But they're worried things like that can happen. And they're worried, like, now that she's exposed to it and she enjoys drinking, she doesn't see that a problem. Uh, you well, know, things like that. Okay, but, so um, there's a few things you've brought up. Uh, brought up. One is um, the anger. Obviously, teenagers, we know they're going to be more emotionally up and down. And I know we can say it's hormones, but it's not really just hormones. Lots can be going on, but there is some of that. But it doesn't mean everything is acceptable or we should just say, well, it's teenager. There's anger. So we do have to look at how they're communicating. I'm glad they're going to therapy and she's going to therapy. So it's good that they're trying to get help. Um, So they're probably getting more help than you and I will be able to give them in the next eight or nine minutes. But we'll see what we can do. Um, So they do want to look at how they're communicating with her. And as I always say, you want to say yes to the feeling, but you can say no to the request or what they want. So, you know, they can say, I know you're angry. We're saying you can't go, but we don't feel comfortable for whatever reason. Whatever the reasoning is and explain it to her. And she still might be angry, but they can at least empathize with her. Um, But I don't know how their pattern has been in giving in to her or not. But maybe they've given in to her too much and now she can't take the no. So they have to be aware of. Uh, what they've created you know if your kid can't take no it's not just they were born into this world that way you've had an effect on that and how you said yes to them even with the alcohol on new year's maybe they didn't feel comfortable about it but in a way they're telling her drinking is not so bad you can do it here and we have to know she's gonna she's probably gonna go through these things you can't stop her what they can do is try to have a good relationship which it seems like they're trying to work on and maybe they already have and they can talk to her and talk about making smart choices and things like that but they're not going to be able to control her and say you can't go out at all the concern is like to what level they can like uh control her or maybe i shouldn't say because they shouldn't be controlling the whole point is to. but that's what they but you know even in what you asked and what you asked is that's what they want to do they want to control what's happening and they know they can't because she's attending parties of a friend and yeah. uh, or she's going out on the weekends. She's like, Dad, I want to go out with my friend. You know, the dad drops them at some place and come pick me up in a few hours. But mm-hmm. 
because there's just a note. Like every time she's asked, she could be having a drink or two with some friends. She and could. They say they know how to get connection and do this thing. You know, nothing stops the teenager. Well, that's the thing, and that's the thing. That's why when you said uh, you, in a way, stopped yourself of like, well, how much can they control her? Oh no, wait, they can't control her. They can't. They can't control yeah. what they, she drinks. They can say, we'll never drop you off at a party or never do this, but that's probably going to create more conflict and they probably are not helping her. They have to more than likely accept that, yes, she's out there. It's scary. Your little girl now is a girl facing bigger things. I'm not saying I want her to drink or she needs to drink, but I know also I definitely can't and even they can't stop her from doing it. So they have to accept at some level that a lot of this is out of their control. And this is what's always hard for parents when they start losing control over their kids and realizing you never were supposed to control them to begin with, even when they were little. But as they get older, it becomes harder and less. And then the risks they get exposed to can be scarier with drugs and alcohol and sex and things like that now becoming out there. And to them, it's like when they have a conversation with her, they're telling her about like, you know, you have a whole life ahead of you. You're going to start university. You know, there are a time and the right age that you could try to have a drink or so. I mean, this is just too early of an age. And, you know, a conversation like that or about uh, cigarettes or smoking or other stuff. And her response is always, as they're saying, it's very like a smart way. And she's responding like, I read this story about so-and-so that was a successful person yeah. that had yeah. this and this. That's, and they were drinking and smoking. And that's right. Now. And she's she's and right. She's right. But she's not wrong. A lot. And she does, I mean, she's just a very smart girl. Yeah. And the, that's why those arguments school. don't work. Yeah. yeah. I work with parents and they say, oh, I sent my kids six articles about why smoking weed is bad. And then they send them 10 back about saying how smoking weed is good. Exactly. So, you know, these types of debates are not going to get anywhere. And they have to just accept they don't want her to drink. If they could, they would want her not to drink at all. But yeah. that's not going to be the case. And they have to accept that they're going to see this differently. She's going to want to drink and go with her friends and drink. They're going to want her not to do it at all. So rather than having these kinds of debates, they're probably just going to waste their breath and, if anything, push her more away where she'll tell them less about what's going on. Mm, I would recommend accepting that we can't control her. Uh, We want to have a good relationship with her. She's not going to tell you everything. She really shouldn't at 15. But maybe she can tell you more so that if she is in trouble or needs help, She'll be able to ask you. And they're saying that uh, one thing that uh, they're kind of debating to do, uh, I don't have kids, so I guess I don't have that much experience, but I've been around kids in the family a lot. They're seeing the Canadian therapist, and I was telling them that why don't you guys try to switch to an Iranian someone culturally, maybe you guys could be more connected. Wait, I missed what you were saying. Her friends are Canadian? Yeah, this family, no, the family are Iranian. Okay. They live in Canada. Yeah. And I said, either the parents, they go to the Canadian therapist. Oh, Canadian therapist. Oh. Yeah, isn't it better to see Iranian therapist like someone that is more connected culturally? I mean, the the baby girl was born here, so obviously. Yeah, well, the connection, you know, culture is important. It's, uh, if someone understands your culture, it's important. But my guess in what you're saying is that they want to go to a Persian therapist because a Persian therapist will be more strict like they are. And, and we'll, Yeah, but that's the reason why. Yeah, right. And I don't think, first of all, the, the therapist's role is not to tell her what to do or not to do anyway, just like the parent's role is not that. Yeah. And when we talk about culture being important, it's that so the person understands you understands what you're going through, what you're going, uh, where you're coming from, how maybe things might affect you differently because of your cultural background. So it's more about understanding rather than 
them telling you you should do this or shouldn't. And uh, Persian kids and Persian adults drink. And so it's not like necessarily that would change anyway. I, I thought you were saying something else, which is that she should have more Persian friends because they won't do these things, but they're doing the same things that the non-Persian kids are doing at their yeah, schools no, too. So that, that, that isn't, yeah, involved. there's, there's people in everything. Yeah. People are doing drugs and alcohol from every course, culture. So yeah. that's not going to protect you in any way. So changing the therapist, I think right now that that's not affecting anything. If I'm the therapist, if they feel good, especially if she feels good as a 15 year old girl, if she connects with the therapist, first of all, are they going to the same therapist? No. Okay, no. good. That I was going to say, I don't recommend that yeah. because that's yeah, not a good thing. That that's good. No, I'm glad they're not doing that. Good. Yeah, two different therapists. It's just like, uh, you know, the parents that I was talking to, they were like, we haven't seen a whole lot of changes. And the therapist is telling them that she's listening to everything I tell her. She shares usually stuff with me. and But I guess they're hoping that something changed. But at the same time, I guess but a lot here, of times they're going through these things. Yes. And let me so let me end with this. Over, yeah, maybe. Who knows? I mean, well, the, do the parents drink? Uh, the father does. Okay. Father no, my point. Does. My point was when you say, "Is this going to be over?" Her her father still drinks forty years later. So I don't know what "over" means. Uh, you know, yeah. people drink and they don't necessarily stop. That's up to them. That's but true. what I was going to say um, about the therapy is, a lot of times parents go to therapy with their own goals. There, in this case, it seems like their goal is for her to stop drinking. That's not the right reason to go to therapy no, or the right actually, goal. But let me just... Okay, that's fine. Okay, good. Okay, good. So yeah, when they say... Okay, good. And then the other thing is that we know that change is slow in therapy, that we have to be patient, that we can't expect things are going to change immediately. But maybe it seems like they want her to listen to them more. And like I said, I'm not saying that's necessarily, but just for parents who are listening, sometimes they think... I'm going to take my kid to therapy to get the kid to do what I want them to do. And that's the no, wrong that's goal. The wrong okay, good. Sure. Yeah, okay, definitely. all right. Well, okay. I, like I said, you know, I, I wish them the best. You're obviously a caring friend. And look, there's yeah. very little the parents can do to control her. There's almost nothing you can do. So don't put that's, too much yeah, responsibility on yourself either. Them, <laughs> I said the more important thing is build a relationship yes. with her. No, but I don't, I think, yes, I think you missed more. the, hold on, hold on. I think you missed the last part. I said, you also can do even less than the parents can. So make sure you don't feel too responsible or involved yourself. All right. Nice talking to you. Have a wonderful day. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners and to Amir, who is here in the studio, and now Farhuda, who is wrapping up the show. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dwakwi. Have a wonderful day.